with us this morning. It is hard to believe that this is our fourth and final message as we kind of look at spiritual formation this summer, just like Jesus is the name of the study. And I know we've got some people that have not been here for the first three, so I want to give you just a little bit of context. I had the opportunity to be a part of a spiritual formation retreat back in April in the Smoky Mountains with one of uh, Jordan's professors at Johnson University, Dr. Joey Owens. It was a great time for me. I'm going to actually quote him a little bit later this morning. But I really felt like God laid on my heart uh, that some of the things that really were fleshed out, I I wanted to share with you. And um, so, so that's really what we're doing, and that's where we're going. Before we get there, however, several announcements. Reload for men this Tuesday. We're in the Family Life Center. Men come on out 6 a.m. A bunch of our reload guys are on this mission trip, so I need some other men to step up. Karen, you're cooking, right? So it's going to be a good breakfast, 6 a.m. Tuesday. Also Tuesday night, this is not on the screen, but we are so excited to be hosting a BSF Ladies Satellite Group this fall, and they're hosting an open house this Tuesday night in the Family Life Center, and if you're wanting to know what is BSF, what's a satellite group, what might you be signing up for, come on out, no strings attached, this Tuesday night in the Family Life Center. Next Sunday from 5 to 8, all of you are invited to go to Little Galilee for our latest Connections event. Lindsay Moody and Melinda Heinlein have been putting these together. It is for everyone. There is no age requirement. Everyone is welcome. The zip line's going to be open. And I know some of you have been afraid to try the zip line because you're thinking, you know, that's for the young people. I, I've passed my time. This is a great chance to try the zip line. Jim Rich did the zip line on his 90th birthday. You can do it as well. Next Sunday night, 5 to 8, the pool will be open. Bring your own food. It's going to be a blast. Mobile food pantry. On Saturday, August 19, the American Legion has graciously allowed us to use their facility, but we are in charge of staffing it, and I need a bunch of you to come on out. We did not have enough people last Saturday when um, the American Legion and Rotary was in charge. I don't ever want to go through that again, so I need people that can sign up and help. It's a great family service opportunity. We've had families in the past where mom and dad and the kids come, and uh, we'd love to see you on the 19th. Him Sing, two weeks from today, sponsored by CAMA, hosted by the Presbyterian Church at 3 p.m., and we're going to be honoring Dixie Montgomery, and uh, Dixie's here. I hope that wasn't a surprise. I hope that was uh, something that uh, she knew, but if not, surprise, we're going to honor you in two weeks. But come on out. I know we love to sing the hymns, and the Presbyterian Church has a really cool organ going to be a great time. And then block party three weeks from today, 5 to 7 p.m. in our parking lot. Invite your friends. Well, three weeks ago, week one of our series, we dove into this idea of what is the blessed life. And I kind of contrasted the American view of the good life with the biblical view of the blessed life. And we looked at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 and how anyone that's serious about their faith is, of course, going to say, I want the blessed life. Well, of course, it's a no-brainer. But the problem is the duplicity of our heart gets in the way. And so we find ourselves really being torn between striving that blessed life that Psalm 1 talks about, that Psalm 2 talks about, but also being uh, pulled by our own self-interest, our own desires. 
Two weeks ago, I introduced the, the concept of the cycle of grace. Sociologist Frank Lake and theologian Emil Bruner, and they talked about the cycle of grace. And how was Jesus able to do all that he was able to do? He had balance in his life. It wasn't all doing. It wasn't all public ministry. He had opportunities to soak in. He had opportunities to be built up by others. And we kind of left that image in your mind. Are you a tree or are you a water hose? A water hose is simply a conduit that allows water to pass from point A to point B, but it's not changed. But a tree, when it rains, it soaks in the water and it grows as a result of that, but then it impacts everything around it. And so as Christians, we shouldn't want to be water hoses. We should want to be trees. Last week, we talked specifically about this idea of identity and who are you. And the answer according to Scripture, the answer according to Jesus, the answer according to Paul, the answer according to John is obvious. You are a child of God. And so this week, I want to conclude our time by talking about this idea of do I have a transactional faith or do I have a transformational faith a transactional faith or a transformational faith much of western theology focuses on what we would call transactional theology and here's what that means it means number one that sin is the enemy and i think we would all agree that sin's a big deal if you're sitting here today and you would say ah sin's not a big deal i do what i do i make choices that's not a healthy attitude spiritually speaking Sin's not a good thing. But with transactional theology, sin is the enemy, and the atoning death of Jesus is the remedy. And so it's all about the atoning death. It's all about being able to escape the torment of hell and gaining an admission ticket to heaven. That's what becoming a Christian's all about. Well, I'm going to escape the torment of hell, and I'm going to gain an admission ticket to heaven. It's always pointing down the road. It's always pointing to the future. Several years ago, um, I was involved in a, in a Good Samaritan incident, uh, helped someone escape a um, car crash, and the Macon County Sheriff honored me. It was kind of a cool time, 2005. And he gave me a couple get-out-of-jail-free cards. I didn't know they even had such things. But it really said, you know, if you get pulled over for a speeding ticket, and, you know, I, there's a couple times I wish I would have had that with me. I've lost them since then. But there really, at least in Macon County, was such a thing as get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, for many Christians, we have reduced the faith and the death of Jesus simply to a get-out-of-hell-free card. And so the big idea is that sin's the problem, and as long as I can avoid the fire of hell, as long as I can be assured of eternity in heaven, all is well. And so at the very core of this, this is transactional theology. A transaction has taken place. Jesus paid the price. I've signed up to be a Christ follower. The transaction has happened and I will escape the fires of hell. Now, you're probably sitting there saying, is that bad? Well, of course not. I mean, I don't know anybody that in their right mind, spiritually speaking, would say sin's no big deal, 
and eternity with God in heaven is no big deal. Of course that's the case. But here's the point that I want to make with you. This is kind of my bottom line as we plunge into this today. Praise God for the transaction, but do not miss the biblical call to transformation. Do not miss the biblical call to transformation. Too many people who have made decisions to be followers of Jesus settle simply for a transactional theology, and they're really never changed. Their life doesn't really look any different than anyone else's life. They've just got that get-out-of-hell-free card in their back pocket. And so they do life like nothing really has changed. The problem with that is that Jesus was all about transformation. The New Testament is all about transformation. And so what I want to do this morning, I don't have a long message, but I want to give you four scriptures in the New Testament. You're going to probably recognize all of these. This isn't rocket science, quite honestly, spiritually speaking. But I want to give you these four New Testament scriptures that I believe speak about transformation and then give you some walking points. We call them talking points sometimes, but walking points. Something that you can actually put into practice in your life to make sure that your theology is more than just transactional, but that you're embracing this call to transformation. I start with Jesus, probably the most misused verse of scripture of Jesus in all of the New Testament. The health and wealth preachers have taken this where it never was supposed to go before. It's, in my opinion, one of the top 10 things that Jesus ever said about himself. He says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I'm the gate. He says in John chapter 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, he teaches that he came to bring us life and life to the full. And some of you don't use NIV, and that's cool, and it may say abundant life instead of the full life. It's the same concept. The idea that Jesus coming, and Jesus ministering, and Jesus dying, and Jesus beating death via resurrection changes everything. It doesn't just change eternity. It changes life here on earth today. Here's John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've come that they may have life. I've come that you may have life and life to the full. That doesn't translate into a bigger house. That doesn't translate into a better car, a nicer wardrobe, a larger 401k. That's not what Jesus is talking about. See, Jesus didn't even have any money on him most of the time. When they asked him the story, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He didn't even have a coin in his pocket. He had to ask someone else for a coin. So Jesus is not talking about come to me and you're going to get rich. Come to me and you'll, you'll never have health issues. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about transformation. The Greek word that is used here is the word zoe. The abundant life. The full life. The different life. The distinctive life. And yes, that is eternity with the Lord. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But it's a transformed and different 
life today, right now. Your life should be different if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your life should be infectious if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. A different, transformed life today. Jesus said, I've come to bring you life, and it's going to be abundant. It's going to be full. It's transformation. In Romans chapter 6, we find a, a passage of Scripture that we read every time there's a baptism at FCC. And you're very familiar, more than likely, with the first four or five verses of Romans chapter 6. And it's awesome. It's a great picture of baptism. I love the first part of Romans chapter 6. We make a mistake because we forget to keep reading much of the time. Because in verses 8 through 11, we see kind of marching orders for those of us who have this new life that's being described by this picture of baptism. And Romans 6 teaches us that we have to break the power of sin. We must break the power of sin. Let me read for you Romans 6, beginning with verse 8. It says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died... He died to sin once for all, the one time for all time sacrifice. But catch this, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is teaching that if we died with Christ, and and we believe that in baptism there's this incredible, beautiful, biblical picture of being buried sins being buried. If we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him, raised to a new life. But then you keep going, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so I want you just, don't raise your hand please, but I want you just to consider this question right now, are you truly dead to sin? Or does sin still have a grip? Does sin still have dominion over your life? Am I saying that you should be perfect? Well, of course not. We're not going to achieve perfection. But far too many Christ followers settle for an ongoing battle, grappling, wrestling with sin. And so I just passionately plea with you today, if, if there is sin that as a Christ follower still has a hold of you, do whatever you have to to let it go. Make a change. Don't settle simply for transaction. Well, I'm forgiven. Doesn't really matter. Desire, strive for transformation. If anyone's in Christ, Paul writes, he is new, she is new. They are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Let's move on, Romans 12. 
the final part of the Roman road that we rattle off so often when we talk about um, a picture of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You start with Romans 3, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then you go to Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then you go to Romans 5, 8, God's unconditional love while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Then we go to Romans 10, and it talks about the power of confession and the power of true belief. And then we go back to Romans 6 and, and the baptism passage. And then maybe the most important part of this whole process is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship. Here's what Paul writes. He says, therefore, I urge you, Brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. And then it really gets good. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good his pleasing and his perfect will. And so we see this connection between sacrifice and worship. They go hand in hand. That takes us back to the Old Testament. That was the ultimate act of worship. If you spend time in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's this huge call to your ultimate act of worship is a sacrifice. And so Paul seizes that image and he says, offer your bodies, offer your life as a living sacrifice. Now, he's probably thinking about 815 worship on Sunday morning. He might be thinking about 930 Sunday school on Sunday morning. He might be thinking about 630 BSF on Tuesday night. He might be thinking about 6 a.m. Bible study. Um, I, yeah. But I think more than, than that, I think he's talking about how do you interact with people outside the confines of this building? What, what do you like in the neighborhood? What kind of neighbor are you? Here's an interesting one. What do you put on social media? What do you say when you're riding your bike and someone takes a bottle and they throw it at you? I've been there before. The way you live your life is a spiritual act of worship. But he goes on, and he says, here's what that should look like. Don't conform. Don't be like everyone else. But instead, be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Talked about that last week. How there is a battle for our mind. We think of a battle for our heart, and there's a battle for our heart, but there's also a battle for our mind. That's why if you're in the Word every single day, you're on the path to winning the battle of the mind. That's why we did a Bible memory class that many of us took time, took a half hour once a week, and tried to memorize two verses of Scripture. That wasn't just an academic exercise. That wasn't a break my hand, patting myself on the back. That was because when we don't conform... And we move for transformation. Our mind is renewed. And then finally, why does all of this take place? Transformation leads to understanding God's will. 
That's the big picture, Paul says. When your life is a living sack, God, I'm going to State Farm today, and I'm not excited about it, and God, just give me the grace that I need to get through the day. You're on the path to not only being a better Christ follower, being a transformed Christ follower, you're starting to consider, God, what do you want me to do? God, why do you have me here? God, why am I in this context? For much of um, my adolescence growing up, I watched my father, a Christ follower, go to work uh, to a job that he dreaded. Just didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it whatsoever. And there were times that his heart was really hard because of that. And so I wish I could go back in time to 1980, to 1985, to 1990, and say to my dad, maybe God has you exactly where he wants you to be, exactly where he needs you to be, so you can make a difference in his name. And I know that a lot of us, some of us, I won't say a lot of us, some of us, that's our story. We live for 5 o'clock on Friday. We dread 7 a.m. on Monday. Could it be God has you exactly where he wants you to be to accomplish his will. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I love this incredible picture of transformation. Now, I need to give you some context. He's using Moses as an example, and I don't want to read all of this, but how um, when Moses' face was shining in glory, what, what did God's people have to do? They had to hide their face. They had to a veil. They couldn't look at it of the glory of God. And so there's this image about how even today, in the first century, when Paul's writing, there are those, that there's a veil. They're kind of blinded by what's going on today. So that, that's the context of this idea of this picture of transformation. And here's what he writes beginning in verse 16. He says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so we see this kind of stair-step progression in this picture of transformation, in verse 16, we see this call to turn to the Lord, to make a, a, a knowledgeable decision, a willful decision to turn to the Lord. Verse 17, when you turn to the Lord and the veil is removed, freedom becomes a reality. See, that's one of the greatest misnomers about grabbing a hold of the transformed life is, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't be a part of this. Transformation brings freedom. It's that battle of the mind. It's the battle of what really matters. It's the battle of what gives me ultimate joy and satisfaction in the Lord. And then finally in verse 18, we're in the process of being transformed. Now, I've thrown a lot at you this morning. It's only 9 o'clock, not even 9 o'clock yet, so I've got some more to give you. But, but I love this quote that I'm about to put up on the screen 
Because I think for so many of us, we hear a message like this, and, and we start saying, well, I could never do that. I could never be there. That could never happen. Ah, I haven't read my Bible in forever. I've never read my Bible. I've never practiced daily prayer. I've never truly embraced this idea of transformation. I'll never get there. Dr. Owen shared this, and it's stuck with me since he said it. And here's what he said. We overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term, spiritually speaking. We think, well, I can nail that. But we underestimate what we can accomplish in the long term. And the reason why I think that is for many of us is we've bought a hold of, grabbed a hold of, American culture in this way that I want it now, and I want it quick, and I want it easy, and I don't want to have to work too hard. I was a disaster in English in high school, and especially, and I'm still a disaster um, when it comes to English, many of you would say, but um, struggled greatly with literature, um, could not figure out why the classics weren't classics in my mind. And guess what? I never read them. Ever heard of Cliff Notes? Anybody ever heard of Cliff Notes? I was the master at Cliff Notes. Finding out exactly what I need to find out to pass a test. If there's junior hires or senior hires in there here today, do not do that. You're selling yourself short. But I never grabbed a hold of it. It never grabbed a hold of me. And for too many of us, when it comes to the faith, we want a cliff notes kind of faith. Fill in a couple blanks. Give me the highlights. And let me get back to life. Let me get back to life as I know. Life that's comfortable. And so, you could become a master student of God's word if you wanted to. You're not going to do it this week. You could do it. You could become a prayer warrior. When we think prayer warriors, we throw out names like Becky Glenn, and rightfully so. You could be a prayer warrior like that. Every person here today. But it's not going to happen this week. You could absolutely master the spiritual disciplines. But you got to dig in for the long haul. You got to dig in for the journey. For too many of us, we want the Christian life to be a sprint. And in reality, it's a marathon. I remember back to my first and only half marathon. There'll never be another. It'll never happen in my life. There were a couple highlights along the way. There were times that parts of my body ached in ways I didn't know parts of my body could ache. But I'm so glad I didn't quit. I wanted to quit at Lincoln Park in Springfield about mile 10, 10 and a half miles in. But I had a friend running with me at my slow pace, encouraging me along the way. And that's a picture of the Christian life. Okay, so I've given you a, a biblical view, four New Testament scriptures that talk about transformation. Now what? What can you practically do with this? Well, three challenges today. Number one, I desire for all of you that you want more than forgiveness in your spiritual life. Let me just throw this out here. If you're a Christ follower, you've got it. The transaction's been done. 
you are forgiven. I know it's true. 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he'll forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a done deal. Praise the Lord. But don't settle for simply pardon, but desire also the power that comes from God's incredible grace. More than forgiveness, not simply pardon, but also power. 2 Peter 1, a scripture that's probably never been quoted in one of my sermons before. I love it. Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life, zoe, and godliness, so that you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so God's grace brings us pardon, praise the Lord, but God's grace brings us power to be transformed, to be different, to be distinctive, to live lives that are declarative. Number two, now what? Gaining and accepting more than simply the door of faith. Now, the door of faith is pretty awesome. The door of faith is pretty good. But what about a compass for your life? A compass for your life. What about a salve for your soul? The transformed life brings more than just that door of faith, but a compass and a salve. So rhetorical question number two, what is the compass for your life? Think about that for just a minute. What is the compass for your life? What is the salve for your soul? This was kind of funeral week for me. I attended a couple. I officiated a couple. Um, I, I've had more suits and ties on this week for a week of the summer than probably any time in the last several. Um, and everyone was special. And everyone was a blessing. And the Monday funeral in Decatur that I attended for my friend Bob Montz's father, Merv Montz, was one that will stick with me for a long time. One of the scriptures that was read that described the way he tried to live his life was Proverbs 3. And here, here's what it said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And there's a great time. One hour service, just an incredible tribute to an incredible man of faith. But here's the picture that I can't get out of my mind. Merv was a World War II veteran. For the funeral service, the casket was closed, and a flag was draped over the casket. Now, we see that all the time, don't we? It wasn't the American flag. It was the Christian flag. And sharing his own words and his wishes prior to their death, he said, Dad loved his country. He treasured the times that, that he could celebrate being an American and serving his country in World War II. 
but he wanted to leave one last unmistakable testimony that his ultimate allegiance was to his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to throw this in there. If that rubs you the wrong way, why does that rub you the wrong way? I'll never forget the picture of the Christian flag draped on his casket. That'll stay with me forever. Number three, and finally, the transformed life should be absolutely unmistakable. In, um, in some of my notes from the retreat, I was reflecting on them this week, and I had forgotten that I had written this. I, I wrote this back in the last week of April, but I was asked to share some of my greatest disappointments in life connected to the faith. And here's what I wrote. At the top of the list, that some lifelong followers of Jesus live their lives in a way that doesn't reflect the faith whatsoever. And, um, and I've been there. I've been that person at times. And so the big takeaway, hopefully, for this is that if you have the transformed life, your life should be unmistakable. The big word, the key word, is the word change. If anyone's in Christ, they're new. They're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Bottom line for you this morning, really the bottom line for this entire series up to this point is that Jesus came to bring us life. Life now and life forever. Let us never, ever settle for anything less than the truly transformed life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for how you love us and you care for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. I'm so thankful for the transaction. I'm so thankful that even though he was perfect in every way, he died on the cross because I'm a sinner and because we're a sinner and, and we have forgiveness of sins because of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But God, help us to move beyond that. Help us to be different. Help us to live lives that are unmistakable. Help us to embrace the marathon and roll up our sleeves and change our world in your name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, it is uh, invitation commitment time as it is every week here at FCC. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, um, I'm up front. I'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Our fireside room ministry continues. And uh, one of our elders, John Rogers, will be in there today. And if you'd like someone in a, maybe a more quiet, more intimate setting to, to pray with you, to, to shepherd during this time, seek him out. And if you would um, like someone to pray again, I'm up front. The most important part of every invitation that we offer is the invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you're hearing all this talk about transformation and transaction and you're not a Christ follower, you've got something to do. And that is to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want in on the transaction and I want to be transformed. And that can happen today as we stand together and Mark leads us in our song of commitment. <laughs>